One of our prayers has been, we just pray consistently all the time as, as pastors, elders, deacons, we pray that this would be God's church. You know, this would be God's church. That it would be obvious that when things are happening in our church that we would look around and try to figure out where it's all coming from. And in every instance, what we would find is that it leads back to God. And uh, today, I, I just was struck in the first service when Jim and Scott were playing and uh, hearing the music and Georgian and Dave were talking about the passion that's on their heart and as Josh was praying about stuff in Japan and Libya and we're just sitting back and watching the different things that are happening in our church and the needs that are around our world and the hurts that are with people here. And we look and there's really only one source of the passions that are growing in us. There's only one source of the healing that we need and it always has to do with Jesus, doesn't it? Always has to do with Jesus. It's, it's, it's just all about God. It's all about Him. And so uh, it's an exciting time in Lent when we just really focus on us decreasing and Jesus increasing. Uh, you know, we, it's really important throughout the year for us to... Um, it's really important... <laughs> ah. <laughs> just see the glory. Just start. <laughs> um, it's really important throughout the year to, to be focusing on six days a week God gives us to work. And the primary work should be us figuring out how to shape our lives around God, to do what he's given us to do, and to go after it. But then there's the seventh day. And in the seventh day we rest, and we just watch him. And we hang out with him, and we look at him. And the season of Lent in some ways is that. Where it's like, it's an extended period where it's like, I want to decrease and I just want to see Jesus. This isn't about me getting better. This is about us stopping and watching who can really do what's necessary. And that, this is, that's our sermon series as we're taking this journey through the book of Mark. And this is a survey of the life of Jesus. It's not even a survey of the book of Mark. It's certainly not an exegesis of the book of Mark. An exegesis is when you take each passage and you really figure out what's it saying and you, and you pull out all the different pieces and you parse the, the Greek verbs and do everything to get the exact meaning of what's being said. And that's a really important thing to do with the scripture in order to get every little gem that's in there out of it. But that's not what we're doing right now. We're, we're looking at the book of Mark in a broad, broad overview, and we're not really even just looking at the book, we're looking specifically at the life of Jesus throughout this book, and we're not focusing on his teachings so much, we're not focusing on, on all that, what we're looking at is what makes him so different. You know, let's look at, why is he so different than us? He's unique, he's uncommon, and we're talking about him as an uncommon hero. Now, the book of Mark, most scholars agree, is broken up into seven sections, there's seven main sections of Mark. And there's seven months or seven weeks throughout our, our journey in Lent this year. And so it works out really well. And of course, the book of Mark ends where the journey of Lent ends too. So it's going to work out nicely for us. And uh, so we shaped these seven weeks around that. Last week, Josh did the introduction, which is 13 verses. And um, this week, I have Jesus' ministry in Galilee, which is five chapters. So... Um, it's not split up into even sections. It's split up into uh, the sections of Jesus' life and, and ministry. And this is the, the biggest time spent in, in Jesus' ministry is up in Galilee. And so there's a, a lot of stuff. And so we're just going to take the rest of the time and, and, uh, and read through the five chapters. No, we're not going to do that. We're, um, although we could do that. That'd be fun too. But we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is I'm going to give an overview of the basic principles of what I see as unique about Jesus throughout these five chapters. Okay? Um, and uh, we're going to start 
by looking at uh, the start picking up in chapter 16 of verse 1. But before we do, um, I'm going to pray again for us right now. God, this is your word. And your word is alive and active. And it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And it's able to penetrate and divide between the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. And uh, your word is alive because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we believe that the word is alive because the Holy Spirit is alive. Because when you died, you didn't stay in the grave, you resurrected. And you're alive and well and you're here with us. And these words on these papers are alive because they've been written by your hand in many ways, um, by your spirit through others' hands. And now they come alive when you write them again on our hearts. And we ask that as we look at you, Jesus, today, we would look at you not just historically, but we'd look at you presently. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can uh, stand up with me as we honor God's word and start in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority not, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching. And with authority. He even gives orders to the evil spirits. And they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Blessed be God's word. You can have a seat. In this section, as we are looking at Jesus' ministry up in Galilee, the theme that we're going to be talking about is the unparalleled authority of Jesus. His authority, his, his authority that you can't compare with any other authority, his unparalleled authority. Now, Josh, when he kicked off the series last week, he, he gave a quote from C.S. Lewis. You remember the basic gist of the quote was that when you look at Jesus and his teachings and what he did, you've got to understand that Jesus is one of three things. He's either a lunatic... He's a crazy man, or he's a complete liar, or he's the Lord of all, right? I mean, either this guy's delusional, and he thinks that he's the Son of God, or he's a complete liar, who's a cult leader, who's making up all this stuff and power tripping, or he actually legitimately is the Son of God and the Lord of all. That's, they're the options. They're the rational options that we have to choose from when we decide who is Jesus, the thing that we can't say is that he's a good teacher, and that's it. We can't say he's just a good prophet. 
He doesn't allow for that. He doesn't allow for that in his teaching. He shows that he believes more than that himself. So therefore, we have to choose something greater than that. Now, Jesus' claims to authority are bold, but they're scarce. How often do you see Jesus throughout the scriptures just stating to people, hey, this is who I am? Never. Never. Anytime that Jesus does come clean a little bit about who he is, he does it in a cryptic way. That if you look and you're trying to hear it, you can see what he's saying. But if you're, if you're trying to convict him in a court of law, it's a little bit tricky. And he does this on purpose because he knows where the court of law is going to take him. Right there. That's where it's going to take him, up on the cross. And he has a lot of work to do before he goes to that cross. And so he has to be careful about how much of his identity he reveals. Because as soon as he reveals his identity, his true identity, people are going to freak out. And they're going to do all sorts of things. And some are going to want Jesus to champion their cause. And others are going to want to hang them on a Roman cross. And they're all going to react in these weird ways. But what Jesus wants to do is he wants to love people, he wants to teach people, he wants to free people, and he wants to heal people, and he doesn't want them to get all messed up about his job title, because if they get all hung up on his job title, he's not actually going to be able to accomplish for them what it is that he wants to accomplish. So he withholds the information, and he holds back on revealing his true identity all the time, and he uses cryptic language to describe himself. Of course, the problem is, is that everyone wants to know who he is. You know, everyone wants to know who he is, but he's not interested initially in revealing who he is. See, this is just the opposite of how bold, audacious claims happen in our society, isn't it? I mean, every fall when the NFL kicks off, and we don't know if it will this season, but every fall when it kicks off, you have some guy, and this is what he says, and you always look at this guy like, you've got to be kidding me. But what he says is, I guarantee you win next week. You hear a guy say that? I guarantee you win next week. And it's like, are you serious? You're a cornerback. You play one position back here trying to protect a guy from catching the ball, and you're going to guarantee us a win? You don't even play on the off. You can't even score a point. Like, there's no way that you can get... You don't have the authority to guarantee a win. That's absurd. Don't do that. Why would you do that to yourself? You're setting yourself up for failure. Politicians do this at nauseam, don't they? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, really, when you, have a, you have to run on a platform, you know, and your platform is your audacious claims of things you can do. You know? We're going to change the whole planet. You know? And we're, by, the, by the end of my four-year term, man, everything's going to be perfect. We're going to live in utopia. You know? And that's basically what you have to do to sell yourself as a politician in America to get people to believe you, which is hilarious you know, because... That's the unbelievable. You know, our government's set up in such a way that doesn't allow for that kind of change, even if you wanted to and gave yourself to it. We have checks and balances that you can't change that many things that fast, and it's important that we have it that way. That, you know, it keeps things at, at, at a pace that's a little bit safer. And yet people come in and say they're going to change the world, and we're like, yeah, you know. And, and when they don't, we're like, what are you thinking? You liar, you know. And we all play the game, and the game is that we put out here who we are. And we say out here what we can do when we make our bold claims. And it's just like all of us who kind of project a certain image. But then once you project that image or make the claims, then all of a sudden you've got to back it up, you know. I'm a Christian. That means little Christ. Really? Whoa. Now I've got to live like a little Christ. 
you know? And all the time we get slammed in the church because, you know, well, how come Christians don't live like this? And it's, well, yeah, because our talk's bigger than our actual authority, you know? And we believe this, but, but the, it's tough. And so all the time, all the time, people make claims that are big and bold, but then they have to live up to them. This is different than Jesus, isn't it? It goes just the opposite with Jesus. Jesus doesn't make the claims. Jesus doesn't talk about it. He doesn't portray himself. He doesn't push it out there. What does Jesus do? He walks it out. See, he starts doing these things, and everything that he does, people start looking at, and they're like, whoa, did you see that? Did you see that? Who is this guy? Did you see that? I love how it starts off. This is the first place it happens in the book of Mark. He walks up to, to Simon. You know who Simon is? Another name for Simon? Peter. You know who Peter is, right? I mean, Peter's one of those guys who you just bark orders at, right? And you just tell him what to do, and he just gets in line. No. I mean, Peter is like the number one quintessential guy that you don't tell what to do. You know, Peter is bold. He's the guy who, when they tried to take Jesus, he took out a sword and cut a guy's ear off. You know, he didn't have great aim, but (laughs) he never had great aim. His words had worse aim than his sword. He would say stuff that just ricochet off the walls, but he was bold and he was brash and he was brazen and he he was a man's man and would do his own thing. And when no one else would jump out of the boat to walk on water, guess who did? You know, and Peter's the one who runs the business and he does all this. And Jesus walks up to Simon. He walks up to Peter. And it's like he's walking by the boat while Peter's in the middle of fishing. He says, hey, come follow me. And he keeps walking. And Peter hops out of his boat and gets in line and starts to follow. That's authority. That's authority. He has the ability to influence people. I know leaders who have spectacular vision and who can articulate that vision in a way that will just bring you to your knees, you know, and make your heart pound and swell up inside of you. But the difference between inspiring someone in their heart and influencing them to real change, the gap between that is a gigantic gap. You can make people buy into a vision in a way that they say, like to a politician, hey, that's a great idea. But getting people to change their lives is a whole different thing. In one moment, Jesus says, leave everything and come follow me. And bam, they do. Who could walk into your life right now and say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sell your house. I want you to sell your car. I want you to liquidate your bank account. I want you to not even say goodbye to your family and just come follow me. And that quick, you'd be gone. Who could do that to you right now? And if they did, how many of your friends would say they're a cult leader? <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the kind of influence over people that we're scared of, that we're like, whoa, not one, one person shouldn't have that kind of influence over another person. And yet Jesus, in a second, man, in a moment, gets these tough guys to just get in line. You know? It's amazing. Right after that, they go to Capernaum. Go to Capernaum, and Jesus starts teaching. And when Jesus starts teaching, this is what it says. It says, he taught, and they were amazed. Amazed. Thank you. Somebody's reading along. Thanks. And they were amazed. I have this t-shirt that Jen got for me. It's like my favorite t-shirt. I don't wear it a whole lot because it's like 10 sizes too big for me. But um, didn't use the size chart. I've lost a lot of weight since then. Yeah, anyway, there's this picture of Jesus, and it looks exactly like he looked. And 
There you go. And then underneath of it, it just says, dot, 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 and they were amazed. And it's like my favorite t-shirt. Picture Jesus, and they were amazed. And in some ways, it says it all. I mean, that's the message today. Is that when you look through the book of Mark, at the end of each one of the stories, at each one of the encounters, it says, dot, 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 and they were amazed. It doesn't actually have the dot, dot, dot. It tells the story. And then it says, and they were amazed. He taught, and they were amazed. And then something else. So I went through the book of Mark while, I was, while I've been studying in, in personal time. And every time it said, and they were amazed, I'd underline it. And then I'd refer back to the time before that it said it. And like each time, like all throughout the book, it says, they were amazed. They were astonished. They were terrified. You know, like when Jesus calms the storm, when the disciples are in the boat and he's sleeping because he's chilling because he's fine, you know, and they wake up and they're freaking out and, and Jesus calms the storm and it says that after he did it all, they looked at him and they were terrified. I'd be terrified too. Man, I would be terrified in that moment. So Jesus, when it comes to his teaching, I mean, think about this. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Okay, no, you guys aren't even raising your hands. You're like, that's a ridiculous question. Shut up. Um, <laughs> So Billy Graham, you know, he's, he's known right now as America's pastor. That's what we call him. He's kind of on the way out right now. He's on, no, he's on the way up. And um, he's, you know, his ministry, many, 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 many people came to have a relationship with God through his ministry. However, when I look at the state of the church right now in America and in the Western world, after Billy Graham's ministry, did our church get completely turned upside down and is the ministry in, in, uh, in America on fire and moving forward and everything going well because he came? You know? No, there's a bunch of people's lives who are personally changed, but we struggle every bit as much or even more than we ever have. You know? And there's limitations. Even when you're a very, very gifted individual, when you're following God and doing what you're supposed to do, there's limitations to how much we can accomplish. But listen to this. Jesus, his teachings, when Jesus taught by the end of his ministry, he was not Israel's pastor. I mean, he was. But he was not accepted as Israel's pastor. He was hung on a cross. And yet here we are 2,000 years later. And those teachings that he taught changed the philosophical, psychological theological, sociological, economic, and political powers and world of his day. And today, when I break out a passage of scripture, I don't look at the living Billy Graham and pick apart his sermon. I don't go back to Jonathan Edwards and take his message on sinners in the hands of an angry God and, and, and pick that apart. When I get up here on a Sunday morning, I open up one of Jesus' teachings. 2,000 years later, and we still try to figure out what the heck he was talking about because it's so profound. That's the kind of authority this guy taught with. 2,000 years later. It's not just his teaching and it's not just his ability to get people to follow. After this, he's in the synagogue and just as he's teaching, this person comes walking into the room and inside of them dwells an evil spirit. And the evil spirit starts freaking out because it's in the presence of the authority of Jesus. And so all this crazy stuff starts happening and it starts saying, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You're the son of the, the Most High God. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus, of course, knowing that there his name just came out, his title just came out, quiet, be quiet. 
Because the, the right information at the wrong time is damaging. And the, the information's coming out. And so he stops the information. And then he says, get out. And the evil spirit just leaves. Just leaves. Just leaves. It's amazing. Now listen, I have, um, have you ever encountered people who when they pray, that uh, things happen? You ever have one of those people who they're just a prayer warrior? They pray all the time and they start praying and stuff starts happening. We have this friend, um, Jen and I, who uh, lives in Ephrata, and um, her mom one day had a purse stolen from her. And uh, she decided that, when, that this wasn't a thing of God. This was an inappropriate thing. So instantly she started praying and when she found out that her mom's purse got stolen that it would be returned to her. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the guy calls <laughs> and says to, to her mom, hey, um, I have your purse, you know, and I want to return it to you. <laughs> and they meet at the store and get the purse back, you know. I, like, that's an answered prayer. You know what I mean? That's an answered prayer. Uh, Jen, you know, I've told you the story before about when Jen was given birth to Colton, she lost feeling in her, in her leg, um, and she wasn't able to use her leg. And they said it was going to be like six months till she could use her leg again. Well, um, we, it was like a week or two after that, we, started have, we had a prayer meeting at our house, and people from the church came, and they prayed over Jen, and they were all praying, like, God, give Jen a, a sense of peace and a sense of comfort through this very difficult time. And then this person, same person, prayed. They <laughs> said, um, I didn't come here to pray for Jen to have peace. I came to pray that, you know, the, the great physician would heal her. Um, that's really why I was here praying. So, God, I believe that you healed back then and you can still heal now. So, God, heal her leg. And it was just a prayer, a simple prayer of faith. And that night when Colton woke up and needed to be fed, Jen went to feed him, and she's sitting there feeding him, and she looks down, and her leg's moving, and she realizes she's moving her leg, you know? And um, those prayers, they're powerful prayers. I mean, I can name a whole bunch of people who I've seen pray things, and things have happened when they've prayed. But, you know, um, that person prayed for my knee, and I got a staph infection. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, our our ability to pray is... Is only, can only go so far. I mean, we, we don't function on our own authority, do we? Whose authority do we function under? God's. All authority comes from God, doesn't it? All authority comes from God. So we're actually limited in what it is that we can accomplish. See, now, but when a visionary leader casts a vision and people only go so far with it, Jesus tells people to come follow and they come. When Billy Graham teaches, some people receive the truth about Jesus and might give their life to him. But the church it might not be radically altered for all of eternity in the same way. But Jesus teaches these things. And even if he's rejected in his teachings, they change things for 2,000 years. And we have a person who might be a prayer warrior who sees some answers to prayers, but they can't just at will snap and have things happen. You know, there's limitations. And yet Jesus, every time that he told a demon to move, it moved. And every time he touched someone and told them they were healed, they were healed. He never failed. His authority is unparalleled. There's no one ever who's come even remotely close to wielding the kind of power that Jesus wielded. It was untouchable. It was unfathomable. If we lived and watched Jesus move, we'd be blown away. We would be amazed. We would be astonished. And we would be terrified. 
Because it's Jesus. How come all of our abilities, all of our talents, all of our giftings, all of our authority, it it comes up against a wall, and yet Jesus, there's no limit. Everything he does, it works. What's the difference? I mean, we depend on the authority of the living God, and, and so we can only go so far, but how about Jesus? How come his works every time? Any answers? Okay, because he is God. Because he is God? Now, I want, I want you to think about something with me for a second. Okay? When Jesus was about to go to that cross, he was in a garden. And he was praying. And he was crying and he was sweating so badly that he was sweating blood. Why was he sweating blood? Why was he crying? Why was he so distraught? Because he was human. What did he, what did he want to do? He wanted to live. Thank you for the one, one word succinct answers, Tim Bruner. You are nailing it, buddy. Yeah. He wanted to live. So could Jesus do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted and wield the power? What Jesus wanted to do was walk away. In a situation when I pray for someone, I pray what I want to happen. And I hope that it lines up with what God wants. And I ask God to help me understand. And I try to pray according to His will. But I recognize that I don't actually have the power to heal someone. I don't have the power to change someone. I don't have the power to teach something that will change the world. All I have the ability to do is get close enough to God that some of who God is can move through me in this moment and touch this person. That's all I have. The difference between Jesus and us is that every ounce of his life was submitted to his Father. You see, here's the difference, is that Jesus, in Philippians, we're told he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. When Jesus woke up as a baby, a little infant, do you think he woke up shooting lasers out of his fingers and having those things that that Superman does where he just like shoots fire out of his eyes and stuff? You know, he's a hero, He's a superhero. He has all this authority, but you don't see him coming out as a baby just making things levitate and flying through the sky. He didn't wake up with supernatural powers. He wasn't just doing the God thing out of the gate. That's not how it worked. We're told in Luke that he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God. And he grew in favor with men. What does that mean? How does Jesus grow? I mean, he's God. How can he actually grow in wisdom? Because he emptied himself. He took it all out and he put it over here and left it in heaven and he came here to earth and he started just like we start. And there's really not a whole lot of difference between him and us except for one huge difference is that he didn't have any sin inside of him. He wasn't against God in any way. He was completely submitted to him. And his whole life, he learned more and more how to submit more of his life to God and how to use and maximize everything that God gave him for the power of the glory of his dad. And so he learns how to open himself up. And you watch over and over again as Jesus retreats and goes into prayer mode and he starts talking to his dad and he says, what are we doing today, dad? What do you, what do you need from me today? These guys are driving me nuts. 
What do you want me to do today with them? You know, like that type of thing. And how do we go after this? And he submits line by line, step by step, miracle by miracle, demonic expulsion by demonic expulsion, over and over again, teaching by teaching. He submits to his father and he listens to his father. And he understands that he is not here to make a name for himself. He is not here to wield his own authority. He's here to glorify his Father in heaven who will ultimately make a name for him. And it's exactly what happens. Because what we're told is, is Jesus is obedient even to the point of death. Obedient even to the point of death. And so he submits to his Father. Now after he rises from the dead, He comes back and he says to his apostles, they're all standing around and Jesus is about to rise into heaven. And you remember what he says to them? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's been given to him. Did Jesus operate on his own authority or on the authority of his father? It's been given to him. Now the Trinity, it's all confusing and yeah, we're not going to get into all of that. But what we know is, is that Jesus, as a human walking on earth, didn't do what he wanted to do. He did what his father told him to do. And every time he did it, he worked with authority. Now, Billy Graham can go so far in changing the world, you know? The prayer warriors can go so far in changing the world. The visionary leaders can go so far in changing the world. But there's always times where they fail. But Jesus never, ever fails. He always wins. He always comes out on top. Always. Every time. And there's one reason. is because there's one authority that will always win and it's the authority of the Father. And the more we get in line with the authority of the Father, the more we win. That's all. And that's why a cross looked like a dead-end street. And yet it became the greatest victory of all time because He was obedient even unto death. The way that authority happens is through submission. Authority isn't gained by coming up. Authority is gained by going down. We must become the least if we're going to become the greatest. That's how it works. And Jesus was the least of these. He knew it. He emptied himself. He submitted. He took on the form of a servant. And I love this line. When he's at that last supper, this is what it says. He's hanging out with his disciples, with the apostles. And it says, when he realized that all authority had been given to him, he took off his outer garment. He got on his knees and he washed their feet. You see, he realized that authority is from God. And, and it comes to him in order to love those who he has been given. And so when he realized all of a sudden, wait a minute, all authority has now been given to me. What is the first thing I'm going to do? He stoops down on his knees and he washes their feet because he understands the purpose of authority. To serve, to bless, to heal, to teach, to instruct. That's the point of it. And Jesus had it in spades because he submitted to his Father. And so he was given authority. This is the last one of them. Is this, is the, this is the moment. I love it when Jesus stands in front of Pilate and Pilate says to him, Don't you know that I have the authority to take your life from you? And what does he say? You would have no authority except that which is given to you by my Father in heaven. 
You know why Jesus knows that in the moment? It's not because he just understands the theology that governmental people are in submission to God or anything. It's because he has way more power and authority himself than Pilate has in that moment. And he knows that his power and his authority comes from the Father. So there's no way that this guy over here has power that didn't come from the Father. You know what I mean? All power, all authority comes from the Father. And the thing that makes Jesus so special and the thing that makes him so unique is not that he came out of the gate shooting fire out of his eyes. The thing that makes him so special is that when he came out of the gate, he learned to submit every ounce of his desire and his will to his Father. And because of that, his Father could release his authority through him to those who were in desperate need of it. The most impressive thing about Jesus' authority is that he actually had to earn it. That he had to submit to his Father in order for it to work. It wouldn't be that impressive if he just came out and had all the natural talent and just... Who cares then? What's impressive is that he submitted and allowed the Father to have authority through him. That's the thing that we don't know how to do. That's why there's only one who can be obedient all the way to death. It's Jesus. The one who knows how to submit is the one who can lead with authority. And he knew how to submit like no one else. So therefore, he could lead. And he did. And we're all grateful for it. That's why we're talking about it today. May we decrease and may he increase. Amen? Let's pray.